Hey everyone, welcome to episode 14 of the So This Is My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And for today's guest, we have Joey Law. Joey is the mother of 15-year-old entrepreneur Hilary Yip, who was our guest for episode 13. So if you haven't listened to Hilary's episode, just head over to sothismywhy.com forward slash 13 to hear what it's like to run a company and balance that with a homeschooling life and just being a teenager. With Joey, we talk about very different things, including what she was like growing up, the 12 years she spent the Hong Kong police force, including a stint in the bomb disposal unit, why she decided to quit her demanding job, and what led her to opening an online children's bookstore. Of course, we talk about what it's like being a mother to young entrepreneurs, and the reason she decided to start homeschooling for her two children, because of the very intense bullying that Hillary unfortunately faced and also her advice to other young mothers on dealing with such issues. While bullying isn't something we typically cover in the So This Is My Why podcast, I felt that it was so important to highlight this because these things do happen. And while there is no one-size-fits-all solution, I hope Joey and Hillary's story might help some of you think through these issues. And I am so grateful to Joey for her willingness to just be really open and vulnerable about her experiences as a mother. So here is episode 14 with Joey Law. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. Hi, Joey. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Could you share anything that's significant that molded you to be the person that you are today? We didn't have much when we were young. My parents are busy working and have to put food on the table, so to speak. So I have to take care of myself. Unlike parents these days, we kind of structure everything, still worried about everything and what to do, all the extracurriculums. (laughs) But at my time, there wasn't anything actually. So I have to plan for my own. I think the pivotal moment for me was when I have to decide on which secondary school I have to go to. Because I was from the local system where they just normally everybody at that area will opt for the same school, which is at the same area. So everybody is kind of knowing each other. And I was a pretty adventurous person. I remember at tender age, kind of like 11, I went downstairs to a local bookstore to choose a book that says good schools in Hong Kong. And I went through that book and scowled through which should I opt for and choose different things. I told my mom that I want to choose different schools instead of the local default choice. And my mom didn't oppose my real suggestions. So I chose three different schools totally out of that area. And I remembered I got accepted for my second choice, which was very far away from my local area, which was in Stanley. Back then, it took me one and a half hour to take the subway and then bus all the way to that school every morning. I needed to leave home at six o'clock in the morning where it was still dark. (laughs) But I loved it. I loved it. Every morning, the the bus journey was so nice because it went past a beach. It was a long bus journey, but it was pretty refreshing. And it was a Biggest school in Hong Kong, I think it still is the biggest school in Hong Kong. It pretty much changed my studying and my way of seeing things and my confidence of making my own choice as well. So how exactly did it change the way that you saw the world? I think from that point on, I kind of made my own decisions and I relied on myself a lot more. Also, because that school is very different from the local schools that we went to and it requires a lot more language requirements. My English, I have to really work because although in Hong Kong, everybody has to learn English, but the level was pretty up to the standard for a lot of the local schools. You couldn't even conduct a proper conversation with a foreigner. And then on the third year, I moved to another school, which was one of the best in Hong Kong. It's a girls' school. And it was even more demanding. And I remembered it was so tough that at one point I almost asked my mom to help me drop back off to the original school because it was just very, very competitive. I remember I have to totally just drop Chinese and work so hard to get even past 
just to the basic level of the requirement of that school. But through those hard times, I was able to get to where I am right now. So thinking back, I'm grateful for the tough time. So what was it that led you to decide to join the Hong Kong Police Force? Because I understand you were there for 12 years and you were the senior inspector of police as well. I was in the UK when I was studying in levels. When I went back to Hong Kong before I went to uni that year, I was kind of just like trying because my dad was a police. It was kind of like a fun thing to do. Just try to get into the force as an inspector. There's two ranks that you can apply. The most basic is the police constable, where you see all the uniform officers around. And then they have their seniors, like a station sergeant. But they are all like rank and files. They are the people who do all the groundworks. And then the officers level are inspectors. They are the management level. So when you apply to the police force, you can either join as a constable or as the first rank of the management level, the inspector. So I assume that you were an inspector. <laughs> yeah, I tried that and I got in. I was the last one to be accepted as a person without a degree when I was 20 years old. What was it like? Do you remember? I was just a kid, honestly. <laughs> and uh, it was fun. It was fun. Nine months training was fun. You got paid to receive training. Good to work bound for, for a month. And you have all those legal training, all these things and Everything's new to me. I loved it. And my interest actually was uh, criminal investigation. Who, who doesn't like it, right? You watch all those movies and all the excitement and you want to be a detective, that kind of thing. I, I have always been a detective for 12 years. And in between, I joined as bomb disposal officer as my secondary duty just to challenge myself. Yeah. And what was that like being a bomb disposal officer? Uh, it was just so fun. You want to take up different things as a challenge. I applied to the bomb disposal when I was 26, 27. So I was already in the force for like six, seven years. You've seen a lot and then you want to try different things. And that came their flyer asking inspectors to try to join them to take up the secondary duties. Back then, it was very few people. They are very selective, honestly, at my time. After I being accepted, there were only 12 secondary duty officers. And I remember the year before they accepted their first female bomb disposal officer. So I was thinking, oh, so they took female now. I can try. That's why I tried. And what was life like as a bomb disposal officer? I mean, do you get called out to the field a lot? What does it look like? Um, you have to go through that very tough seven weeks selection process. I remember they took in like 12, 15 officers at the beginning and they only accepted three at the end. Me and then two more female officers. We were best buddies even now. <laughs> and was it a dangerous role? It can be, but I appreciate so much of the training because the, you have to deal with bombs, right? You have to be super cautious and you don't have much time to think too long and you can't go back. The training we received is kind of like a lifelong thing. They have standard procedures, which are used till now on my decision making. Is it okay for you to share what those procedures are that we can apply <laughs> in our own lives? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. First of all, like, it's useful for anyone to apply on any situations. First, you have to look for the whole situations. And then you have to think through the options, what options you have. We must come up with five options. No matter how difficult it is, the reason being, they don't want you to jump to the conclusion. They don't want you to just find one solution and go ahead. Maybe you were wrong. And then you have to take the worst one out until you came up with the, that is the way you, they trained you. You have to do this every single time. We keep on doing all the exercise. They, they will keep asking you, drooling you until you have five options. That was how you do it. After you have the options, they call it mental run through. You have to go through the whole thing in your mind on how to approach that situations because we're talking about a bomb. You can't go back and forth. You only have one shot to go. Then you have to go through it in your mind. You have to practice at, on the spot before you approach. All these things that comes up, it helps you when you are dealing with a problem in hand. And are there any particular moments that impacted you significantly from your time in the forest? There are many, but one 
small story came to me all the time. It was a very small story, but it affected me on how I see things, see most things actually. I remember when I was just a junior inspectors, where I, we have to patrol on the streets all the time. I bumped into a couple in those love hotel, a very old man and a very young girl from mainland China. She didn't have any identity document. Some day-to-day thing, you will jump into a conclusion that she must be an illegal immigrant as a prostitute in Hong Kong. So she gave me a very weird story about she really had an identity, but she lost it. And she had a family in Hong Kong, but she was not in a good relationship with them. That's why she headed out and met this man. It didn't, doesn't, didn't seem right to me. It didn't seem logical. The most logical thing is what we have been seeing all the time, right? So we just arrested her, disregard her story, and sent her to court. I think the next day, things came back to us, and things got verified. Everything she said was right. The thing that came to us that was so right, that has to be the story, was not the case. And that small thing, that small story, actually changed my mind of seeing things. No matter how reasonable i think that thing may be i always verify it you always always have to verify it don't take it as it is and i understand that it was a very very stressful job and you were also balancing it with young kids so how did you do that (laughs) yes that was one of the reasons i left the police force because it was uh really tough work-life balance there's no such thing you have to make a choice you have to make some kind of sacrifice. When I was having my second kid, Alexis, I was in a very demanding job where I was the one with lowest rank. And my head boss was one of the top top guy on um, criminal investigation. There were only eight of us on the floor. And I was the one with the lowest rank. So I have a lot to handle. And I was pregnant with my second child. But that was a very good post that would help you climb the corporate ladder. So Remembered at one day, I was like three, four months pregnant and I had blood and I have to rush to the doctor. And there was early kind of miscarriage. So the doctor said, you have to take leave for a month. I just told the doctor, no, I can only take one week (laughs) maximum. I just say no to the doctor. No, I can only take one week off. And the doctor said, what? Eventually, I took one week off and I took all my work back home and I called my boss constantly telling them that I'm available. Work just consumed me. I couldn't think of anything but work to make sure I got the thing done. Nothing undermined me as a person working on par with my colleagues. And I remember my husband was really stressed. He was even more stressed than I was. And he was like, this is just crazy. There's just no way. During that time, Hillary was two years old. And I couldn't attend much of her school's uh, meetings. You know, the cooking mom thing, I was never there. And my, my husband normally would be there. And I felt bad on that. But at that time, I was just so into my work. It couldn't last longer. You know? And my husband and I had back and forth all these kind of conversations. And at the end, I decided, you know, it's just not worth keep on doing it that way. It is hard to... Re- describe it's a never ending even you get one promotion if you want to get the second one you have to work that way too you have to outwork other people in order to as a female as well in a police force where 80 percent of them are men and you have to show that nothing undermine you as a female as a mom or whatever it is hard it is tough and i don't want to live in that kind of mode throughout my life until i'm 55 <laughs> So it was at the at, a, at that point I decided when I was thirty three to quit the force and try something else. And was it scary to hand in your resignation letter? Uh, it was a big decision, but I I made it one night. I think <laughs> I just want to make sure my husband's happy about it. I was lucky to have a very good partner who always supports me. He's not the kind of person who regrets any decisions we've made. And for that, I'm grateful. He gave me the the confidence to do whatever I think is the right thing to do. So you handed your resignation and I understand you didn't go home and do nothing. You went and you started an online children's bookstore. How did that even begin? Like, What was the rationale behind that? I'm always a book person. 
since I was a little girl. So when you have kids, these things consume your mind. What should I do to for my kids? Book is the very first thing that came to my mind. And I know that this is the thing that if I instill into them to have this love for books, they are pretty much set. So this is the first thing we do. Even before she was born, we were reading books to her. And the first day when she was on the crib, we were just reading, chatting. And that was... I would say not just for her, it's for us too. It feels like you are doing the parent's job. Try to compensate what we didn't have as a kid. Kind of like self-healing process. And I really enjoyed it. And we have to start looking for books all the time. At that time in Hong Kong, I think Amazon is there, but it costs a lot for shipping. No book depository back that time. It was always too costly to order books from overseas. So we have to look for the local bookstores. And the book collections in Hong Kong for kids was not that great. It's either the books that everybody's talked about, the hip ones, the popular ones are almost always linked with Disney characters or movies affiliated. So if you want to find some classic books or some people would like to recommend to kids... It's educational, but it's not like the most, most popular ones. You can't find it in Hong Kong. I was really upset and I was thinking, oh, maybe I can try something, <laughs> do it online, reduce my course and introduce to others. There must be some other parents who want books like I do. So that's how I started. What was it like? How do you even begin to think of opening a bookstore? I was lucky because I actually have a backup plan. I joined my family business after the force. We have a warehouse, so I don't have to worry about <laughs> um, where I put the stock. I was thinking about starting small, and we did that. We contacted some publishers where we can find in Hong Kong. I visited them, and I was lucky to they let us place small orders at the beginning. And you just build up your connections. Once the first publishers will open an account with you, then you can contact others, even overseas ones. They are very willing to open accounts with you. What were the biggest challenges that you faced in the early days? Of course, about stocks. Because once you have accumulated stocks, then you, you will have an issue and the pages will get yellow and it, it's difficult to, to keep if you want to sell them as new books. That's pretty frustrating sometimes. And the margins were quite low as well, right? For it. Very low, very low. And my selling point was to sell books at a very reasonable price. I always sell lower than what the normal chain stores are selling because, of course, they have to pay overheads. I'm selling them at a lower price. And we have steady followers and we have a good business during book fairs in Hong Kong too. So we run the business for a good few years until the trend-free book from overseas changed. So we have to adapt to it. And I understand that running this children's book business also taught you about effective parenting. Am I correct? Oh, oh that, that was another different thing. I joined that kind of core effective parenting workshops that was introduced by the Hillary's kindergartens. I I think that was right after I quit the force so that I can attend those trainings. That was pretty intensive, you know, a few full day courses. And at that time, I was just thinking, oh, it was pretty new to me. Parenting course, you know, what kind of thing was that? And, and I was really curious. I remember the principals was highly recommending that. It was kind of life changing for me as a parent too. About active listening. I think a lot of people have heard about that term right now. You have to Go to the level of the kids when you talk to her and you know, just practice empathy with your kid, pretty much that. And I remember one story, that one analogy that they mentioned, I totally got it. He said, okay, you parents always ask kids to share the toys, right? When your kid is having holding on to her doll or, or her Iron Man toy, and when friends comes, you always ask them to share their most precious toy. But what if I asked you to share your most precious diamond ring to your friend? And that immediately you'll think, oh, that was a bit... Mm. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think you will share your most precious ring. I got it. I immediately got it. And I was like, oh, that's right. You know, asking your kid to share their most precious toy is tough for them. And that brought me to my early childhood days as well. And you will immediately be able to see things differently and see things in the kids eyes too and i think at the same time you were running this you also launched your own blog joeymom.com so how did that come about the idea of running a blog 
That was in later years after the online bookstore. I changed the page to Joey Mom because I have accumulated a lot of fan following from the bookstore as well. And we or parents, we did that naturally already. Have a lot of parenting talks or sharing informations, and I think well, I should I should just carry on doing that. We share a lot of experiences, and my customers always ask me questions. <laughs> so I I just want to leverage that and use that channel or or page to keep talking to them. And how important is it, do you think, for mothers to have these online mom communities? It was very helpful. You don't have any experience at all until you have your first kid. No matter how many books you have read, how many things you have seen, nothing to compare with when you have experienced yourself. And it totally changed everything: your lifestyle, what time you sleep, what time you get up. It's all. It is so different. There's so many things coming up in your mind, not the thing that you are seeing every day. But for parents, especially when when you have kids and in high stressful place like Hong Kong or Singapore, South Korea, you have to pre-plan for so many years, and that was really stressful. At that time, I think it would just very naturally come to you that you have to seek for help, seek helps, and go for online forums. You know, and one of the things that we. Talked about briefly before was that when Hillary was ten, that she actually had difficulty in school, and I wonder because it's this topic of bullying, and it's something that parents are aware of, but we never know how to deal with it. So I wonder for you, how do you first discover it happening? Actually, it didn't happen at ten. She experienced the first bullying when she was year four. It was like eight. She was a different kind of person. She was very different from. Girl type of kids, and then they probably would love to talk about clothes. Even at eight years old, you know, she was always in her, with her books. As parent, you raised her up to love books, and that is exactly the way you want her to be. And you don't want her to change a single bit. But at that point, do you want to persuade her to change to adapt to other people? That was some dilemma that we have to face, and when she was eight, she started to experience that. And she was in、uh, international schools where those kids they don't like to wear jackets or coats, even during cold day. I don't know whether you've seen that. And they would like to wear short sleeves even at eight degrees. <laughs> and Hillary, she is so afraid of cold. She wears thick jackets all the time, and so she was always being picked on. <laughs> I remember. She didn't care too much because that time she was pretty young still. I remember going to the school camp with her that time as a mom volunteer, and the girl group teased her in front of me, and I was thinking, "Hey, you know, it's not too nice," but I didn't say a word. So at the end, I emailed the teacher. I laid out everything factually: what happened, what Hillary said to me, and what I have witnessed to the teacher. And the teacher handled well that time when she was eight. The teacher was able to talk to both sides and tell them how to respect each other's choice. That was a success case. And those girls, although I could see that they was not very happy about being told off by the teacher, but they still kind of controlled themselves and let her be. So she carried on studying those school, and those girls let her off. But when she moved on from primary to secondary school, that was the year where problems were really surfacing, and we couldn't help. And eventually, pulled her out from school. What was the tipping point that led you to the decision that I would pull her out? It lasts for a few months. For us, it was like hell. It was like so long. But I know that for many kids. So many parents that I've talked to after our situations being published. So a lot of people came to us. I know that a lot of people have experienced these for years, and I, I honestly couldn't imagine how could they endure so many years of torture. For Hillary herself, it started at the first month of school in secondary secondary school. She went to a school trip that that time. I couldn't go with her to Thailand. It was a planned. Activities for school, so that the kids get together to get in another environment, so that they can unite, know each other better in a, a more twenty-four-seven situation. But <laughs> was when things happened again. She was with the books all the time, and the girls were listening to music, chatting, and she was not interested, and they kind of didn't like that. 
it starting to have the teenager thing where the girls they would want to have some power group. They want to attract you in, and if you don't want to be with them, you're out. You will be alienated. You'll be picked on. That was exactly how it happened. And she was、uh, bringing her、uh, journal with her, which she always brought the journal when she was not with us, and she would write everything down. And this is just her. She loved to show us when she's back. And this is what I do all these things. And she was always writing her journal, and they hated it when. Hillary was out swimming with her friend. That group of girl read her journal. Of course, she mentioned something that she was not very satisfied with those group, and they have an argument. And they said, "Oh, why do you say so?" In, in this, and Hillary said, "Well, this is my journal. Do you know what is privacy?" And they, well, of course, that is how it happened. So when they came back to school, things got worse because that group are the popular girl type. So everybody is kind of attracted to them. They are very sporty, beautiful girls, always very chatty. That type. Even her old friends started to dump her, refused to talk to her, and she had no one to turn to. When she sat down for lunch, everybody just left the table. She is the person who thrives in school. She has always been. She loves learning, and the teacher loves her. But that's also causing her pain. <laughs> Because the teachers always ask her questions, and those kids like hate it. And when she answered questions, they would sneer at her, glare at her. So she began to shut up. She began to just shut down and losing her confidence as well. She complained to me at the beginning. She complained to me, and I remember before Christmas, I arranged a meeting with her class teacher and told her everything like I did when she was eight, but they didn't manage it well. They told off the girls, and they make things worse. You know, those girls are crying, and everybody and say, "Oh, Hillary, how could you do this?" You know, that that, and and then things got worse. And her lockers being ransacked, the locks being broken and ransacked, and soon she didn't even talk to me. She didn't tell me anything about school. I didn't know. I didn't even know what happened. I still blame myself. For not noticing it, because I realized when I picked her up from school, she was always the last one came out, always the last of the whole secondary school, which I didn't notice why. She didn't tell me. I asked, "Oh, why are you so late?" And she just shrugged. It didn't came across to me that she intentionally did that. It was only after she left school she told me she hid in the toilet, so to let everybody left school before she came out because she don't want to be the only person. To left school, where they're always in group, and when they see you, they will just stay away from you. You know, she hate that. That's why she hid in the toilet. Typical, and I didn't even know. But then months pass, and then one day I remember going to a clinic with her, and she was sitting next to me very closely for a long time, and then I noticed there was a bow patch on her head, a bow patch. This big, no hair there. Oh, just wonder what happened. And I, because just two three days ago, I remember she went to an event and I combed her hair, and her hair was intact back then. Nothing like that. Just two days afterwards, I saw a patch. There's something really wrong with it. And I cornered her. I asked her for the whole afternoon. I wouldn't let her off without telling me. And she broke down and told me that she was really experiencing a lot of all-out bullying at school, and that was because of stress. She pulled her hair out when she was in class. She was always pulling her hair, and that's how the bow patch came. So <laughs> I was only but then then that I realized how serious it was, and I got everything out from her. I didn't pull her out right then then. I still talk to the school. I still arrange meetings, and I talk to her that I will do whatever I can to help you. You still go to school and still see whether you can manage, and see how with us, with the teachers and yourself, could we, you know, revive the situations, and if you can experience a better school life. But as expected, it it wasn't doing her any good telling the teacher, and she started to have nightmares. She didn't want to go to school. She always late. It wasn't like that. She was always looking forward to school when she was young. Before secondary school, she was really happy, fully. And during that time, she was a, another person. She didn't want to comb her hair. She always let her hair cover her face, and she had nightmare. I saw 
sweats on her body all the time. And I remember towards the very last days, I had to go to school and tell her I will be there at your school facilities. I will be staying at the coffee shop. If you need me, call me. I will be here with you within 10 minutes. But just try. Go still go and try. So it was how it works for one, two weeks. And then one day I picked her up from school and she told me it was a day where with the drama class assessment. And I asked her, hey, how was the assessment go? Because the assessment was the kind of performance totally arranged by a group of students. The teacher had no involvement in it. So on the planning of the script, everything, the students would do it. So it was a totally good project. She said they totally changed my script from everybody have a fair turn to me saying nothing. I was playing a role of a fool where I would just trip on a banana peel and die and have nothing to say. And I said, what did you do? Did you protest? Did you tell the teacher? She said, no, no point doing that. And I don't want to affect other kids. I don't want to affect other students because this is an assessment. And she just told me that she had totally gave up. She had gave up on herself. And I just couldn't take it. That night, I talked to my husband and said, well, let's, let's just pull her out from school. Let her have a break. I want her intact, you know, body and soul. <laughs> so that was how we pulled her out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you, firstly, so much for sharing all that. I mean, it's, it's really heartbreaking to see what happened to her. She's such a wonderful, bright, happy girl. I just spoke to her. She's amazing because a lot of listeners are young moms and obviously they're concerned, where do I send my kids? And all these warning signs, you know, and I'm wondering for them, do you have any advice in terms of any signs that they should look out for? Any advice for them? Yeah, totally. If your kids have a change of attitude towards school, especially from very happily looking forward to school to not wanting to go, it is a sign. And when they complain to you, I think at the beginning, they will always talk to the parents. Don't just brush it off or just keep saying, you must be one of the problems too. Keep listening to them, assessing the situations, be supportive and don't make it in a way that they will stop talking to you. I think in our case, it's because we told the teachers and it made things worse. That was the tipping point where she stopped talking. Because she didn't want the situation to be any worse. But I mean, like, how can you as parents not do anything as well, right? Yeah, it's very difficult. Keep talking to your kids, keep chatting with them. It is very important. The relationship between you and the kid, it's, of, of course, it's very important. They have total trust on you. And I think you have to give your kids some kind of confidence and trust and support to let them know that you are always there. You will help them solve whatever problem they see. And I think it is good to introduce another trusted adult to your kid too. Because for them, the parents is always the one who is saying these things. It's not credible. Sometimes they need to see another person that they look up to or someone they really trust an adult to tell them or to be a supportive adult as well. Because at that time, it's very lucky for her to have her business mentor. He also told her that this is not your whole world. School is, of course, very important to you right now that you are in here 10 hours a day and you are seeing this as your whole world. But there is a real world out there. And you're with me right now and we love you. You will see good people out there. You will meet your like-minded people. The problems now you have is um, short-term and you can overcome this. I'm really grateful to that mentor too. It's so amazing. I was so amazed as I was researching, also talking to Hilary and she was saying that the startup community is so supportive, so embracing. And that's so encouraging to hear that it doesn't matter how old you are. It's all about your passion and what you want to put into it. So yeah, I mean, she's facing all these things, but then she also found something that really excited her, which was the whole entrepreneurial competition. The whole thing that started was you sending them off her and Alexis to a Chinese summer camp. And then she came back and then she saw this competition. How do you feel when she came to you and said, I want to join this thing? Does your family have some kind of entrepreneurial background as well? No, actually it was AIA's initiative. Because one of my friends worked in it and she told me, oh, there is one this thing. There was this entrepreneur initiative from our, my friend's department. Do you want to send Hillary there? Because she was within that 
that range. The only reason was it's totally free, and they sent the kids to all different places, including Facebook, Citibank, go in there and to see what is being run. You know, normally it's not accessible to the public, right? And AIA will spend a lot of time teaching the kids all these different things. You will see 3D models, these cool things. I said, "Oh, this is pretty cool." So I asked Hillary whether you want to go, and she said, "Oh yes, I really want to. I want to go with my friends. Originally, they want to go as a group, but then her two other friends dropped off at the very last moment because you have to come up with an idea in order to enter that competition. You have to pitch your business idea." So I don't know whether the friends maybe is too troublesome. They just dropped off at the end. So yeah, it was amazing for me. It's like when they dropped out, she had three hours to come up with something new, and she did it. That is yes, incredible. Yeah, I was like, oh, you, you've got to, you know, this the, the deadline is coming up. You have to come up with something, otherwise you can't join. And just just think, just think, you know, whatever, you know. And then she said, oh, what about? I I remember that the Chinese camp experience. If I could bring that online, you know, it will help everyone. That was where the idea came from. So she submitted it. She got in. She started pitching. Do you remember that whole experience? I'm sure you were with her the whole time, just making sure she was okay. So, what was your perspective of that entire experience? Yeah, I was there the whole time, but I also let her do it. Her own way, so that's why I remember her first pitch with so many teams of kids. Her PowerPoint full of words is definitely a no no right now. Full of words, very colorful lines, no colorful words. <laughs> But that's how she did it. I told her,、mm, if you can't remember, maybe you write down your points on cue cards. So she had cue cards. She have.、Uh, PowerPoint full of words, <laughs> and she did that. But she did it with passion, you know, very excitable. You know, she's always excitable when she speaks, and then she got in. <laughs> wow! So she was like doing it herself. She wanted to do a cue card. She wanted to do the presentation. And were you like teaching her how to do public speaking? Not at that time. Not during the first pitch, no. But towards the very end of the competition, they had a chance to pitch their idea then to the whole. Hong Kong startup、uh, community. It was a big event because it was the first startup Hong Kong startup event run by the government, and they invited Elon Musk there because of Elon Musk. Of course, everybody went to that event, so it was like over a thousand people in the central government office. And the kids, of course, it's just like dessert kind of thing, you know, <laughs> just to fill the empty spots. <laughs> I I trained her up. I wanted to do it in a way that she would be proud of herself. Because in her school, they didn't have many of these opportunities to work very hard towards one thing. It is always very relaxed and easy projects. They don't really have the opportunity to spend a lot of time to be really hardworking on one thing. So they don't even have examinations at that time. So I want her to work on something and feel proud of herself. And and so that's why we did it. We made professional, not many words, PowerPoints. I trained her up on how to speak without any cue cards because it's just like a three four minutes presentation. So she memorized the whole thing. We practiced it well, and she made an epic work there. And then everybody was still talking about that presentation, and that was the presentation that brought the mentor to her. Yeah, I actually found that presentation on YouTube, and I was amazed. Like she was so poised, so confident, spoke so clearly, but her presentation slides didn't work. <laughs> and I was amazed she didn't freak out. She was just like, "Oh, I guess I can't use it," which is such a testimony to her ability to speak. I was like sweating, you know. And I think you have to give thanks to her practice too, because she really memorized her speech inside out. So even when things didn't work, she can keep going on without the slides. I think that helps a lot. So after that, lots of people came and wanted to speak with her. She's still a child, right? She's only ten years. So how do you determine who was a good person to speak with? Because you would probably be thinking, why do they want to speak with her, right? And who to seek out, maybe? Actually, a lot of people just want to speak with her then. Then, honestly, not a lot of people would like to spend a lot of their personal time to with a kid. For those who really wants to, that time we normally say yes. We just schedule after school times for coffee with them or visit their office. I also want Hillary to see different things too, to meet different people, to learn from them too. So that's how we got into different people and her mentor. The first meeting with her mentor was so memorable. They spent hours at Starbucks where he taught her everything of a startup. From how to do marketing, how to do research to an IPO, 
And you know, just a CEO of a big company to talk to a 10-year-old kid. It is so funny to watch. For me, there I was learning too, to see him talking to her so patiently. And that Hillary was really absorbing like a sponge. <laughs> it's very funny to watch. And then I think that their relationship deepening starting that from there because I think he got the satisfaction from the kid too, giving him response <laughs> of really learning from him and taking in the advice. It's an amazing experience to watch too. And she was only 10. So was it her first time hearing all these things like IPO marketing? And was she understanding, like fully understanding what it was all about? Um, she asked, but what is IPO? She asked and he explained. And then he also kind of like teaching her really deep, deep things. The first day taught her not to be afraid to lose. Starts up 90% of them will fail. You will fail. You just expect to fail. Then you won't be afraid to be failing. <laughs> and that was so important because a lot of people just think of an idea. I always have that idea. You see so many people talk about, oh, I know that. I've thought about that, but you never did it. You know, why? Because you're afraid of losing face. You're afraid of failing publicly. But if you can go past that, then there are whole different things for you to try. So she had that conversation with the mentor and I think she went back and she was excited. She wanted to start a company for that. Were you like nervous, excited for her? It was natural, just like the next thing to do. Okay, you have a meeting with this mentor and he suggested you to find 30 parents, 30 kids to talk about your ideas. It's not a big deal, you know. Okay, let's do this. All right, I have my Facebook account and I can help you set up a group on how to reach out to people. And when people really respond to you, it's really exciting. It's not just people from Hong Kong. You see have people from outside of Hong Kong doing this marketing test with her. How was she reaching out to these people? We set up a Facebook page and then write these things and share, asking friends to share, and then they just respond. Very soon, she had enough people to try. And then they started with having just Skype calls, testing out how kids respond to each other. She arranged different kids who don't know each other and try how and see the how they interact with each other. That's how it started. And so she was doing all this. So what were you doing behind the scenes to help her? I was there all the time to just, you know, observe, you know. And of course, I will take down notes of what the mentor said. And I will say, oh, the mentor asked you to read this book. Have you read this book? Or I will talk to her and see how much she has taken in. I will also check with her. But at that time, it is something very interesting and funny to her. So she didn't really need much of me to ask her to do it. She would do it herself. <laughs> She was still in primary school. And then like she transitioned into homeschooling for like three months. And we didn't deal with this, but what led you to decide to keep her in that homeschool experience? Oh, we pulled her out from school in February, I remember. That was the month. It is kind of embarrassing time because it's like halfway of the academic year. It is difficult for school to take in kids at that time. Once we put her out, it was just natural for us to ask for her to transfer to other schools, right? Homeschooling was not in my mind at all. It's not an option because in Hong Kong, it's, it's really not popular. And a lot of people have the perception that it is illegal because in the law, kids should go to school except for exceptional situations. This is actually in law. So... For us, you know, we we're just thinking it is by law, you need to go to a school. So we arranged to, for her to transfer to other schools, but it was not the time that they will take in new students. You have to wait until September. You can come for the interviews, you can come for the exams, but if you want to take you in, it will be the next school term. So during that gap months, I have to arrange for something for her. And then came a teacher. She had a startup where we met her before at those startup events. She have just started running an alternative schooling startup where she wants to run project-based learning and real-life situations where she will bring kids out to learn to see the world instead of having just classroom classes. And I think oh, we have nothing to lose. And I want her to be out there instead of stalking at home, feeling that because I'm an outcast, I have to stay home. And I think it was actually the best choice. So we sent her to that teacher and within days, I saw the original Hillary. I was so happy talking about all the things she sees. She started to research, get all the books she wants. And I think we didn't look back afterwards. 
I think at the same time, there was a difficult decision as well, right? Because I think your family was objecting to that as well. But you knew this was best for her. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't care. I don't care. You know, our parents should be like totally surprised because Hillary was so good in school. She was always top of the class. They expect her to keep on doing that and don't go the traditional path. To be out of school is something our parents won't understand. And they even cried in front of me and saying that you're ruining her. You know, you're ruining her, you know. But I know what I'm doing. We know what we're doing. So it doesn't bother me. And just to give people context, I read that Hong Kong schooling is very competitive. Like people with unborn children are filling out application forms as well. It's very hard just to even get to school, let alone you taking deliberately a child out of the schooling system. Yes. Yeah, we're talking about those top schools. Yes, some of them you have to fill out the form before the child was born. <laughs> so moving back, in any event, the old Hillary resurfaced. This was her thing. And she was also running this company that was going to be minor minors. So in that six or seven months, I understand that's the period you took to do testing before you got a programmer to come on board to launch this. What was it like? Do you remember those days? Yes. We spent a good few months testing and coming up with ideas, following what the books suggest to do. You know. I just want her to learn. As parents, I just want her to get out there, meet different people and learn. And because she's a kid, she really followed the textbook case, just like a textbook case. I'm just watching her like a textbook case. She just do everything that they recommend. They just follow the books and then she doesn't have a second thought. For us, kind of like you have a lot of thinking bothering you. That's why you procrastinate, right? For her, it's just like, okay, I do one, two, three today and I do four, five, six the other day, you know? And that progressed very well. So at one point, we have to come and say, okay, we have done everything. We have this drafted out. We need money to do this app. <laughs> and can you invest money to you know, find a developer to do this? And I think for me, it's not a difficult decision because it's not like a lot of money. Because I don't know, maybe people knowing Hong Kong situations, you spend a lot of money for sending them to international school and all those extra curriculums anyway. So I understand that it's like the schooling itself, a year is like $150,000 just to send a child, right? No, no more than that. For her, that year is already 200000 a year. 200000 a year. And also other after-school curriculums. So if I can cut down some extra school classes, probably can make up for the app development. So... For us, it's not a difficult decision. I want her to carry on learning, to have this experience. I know that it will be priceless for her. And she told me earlier that she was also going and just pitching and pitching and pitching. So you were with her the whole time. Were you ever worried that she was overworking herself, that she needed a break and be a child? Oh, no, no worry. She will let me know. <laughs> I don't want to do this one. And then we will say, no, <laughs> we don't say yes to everything. No, she won't do it if she doesn't want to. <laughs> and are there any particular moments that stuck with you that really impacted you? Yes, yes. That's how the dynamic between us shift. I think as a parent, sometimes it is a happy and sad situation. You want to bring them up to be independent person. But then when they say, okay, mom, I don't need you. I can do it myself. It's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I see it all this time. And at the beginning, I have to train her for all the public speaking. Like the first one I told you, she have to memorize every single word. So even if there is any situations, she can handle it because she will memorize it inside out. Back, back work and forth. <laughs> but if you want to be a real good public speaker, this is not the way, right? You need to memorize the points instead of verbatim. And you will have to adapt to different kind of speech. Sometimes you have panel speaking. She had a lot of invitations to be panel speakers, where it's kind of like impromptu talks, you know, you can't prepare for it. But to my surprise, she was at her best when she speak as a panel speaker. She just speak her mind. It was free. She doesn't need to think too much. And she was at her best. And those are the things that I don't need to help her at all. But she started to have keynote speaking invitations from 5 to 10 to 15 to 30 minutes. It was tough. And I want to train her up so she never use cue cards anymore. She always memorized her speech. That 
then you have to adapt and change. You have to learn, read a lot of books on how public speakers do it, you know, how real good public speakers do it. And they memorize by points. They memorize the flow. So you will be natural. You can speak out your mind. You can even change a little bit to adapt to the situations, adapt to the audience. So you can be yourself and be a good speaker. So I helped her and that was a long process. I remember at the very beginning, at one point I told her, this time I'm not going to help you. You draft your speech and you do it. She was kind of like, okay, I can do it. And she didn't spend much time on it. But when she spoke on stage, she stumped. I remember she kind of like stopped a little. She kind of like forgot her line her, or the next point for a bit. And then she knew it. That time was the only time that she felt she could have prepared better. And after that presentation, she never told me not to prep with her or to, at least after that uh, little incident, she would always prepare very well. And she will do all her prep preparation job and she will come to me and then she will do it once in front of me and I will give her feedback. Because it's always good to have someone telling you how to do it. And then she will change her speech and, and perfect her speech. I remember the last time when she went to Dubai and gave a 25-minute speech it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I was so touched. She didn't miss a single bit and she did a really good job. And I was really proud. But you know, she spent a lot of time preparing too. Even in Dubai, all the time when she was out there, even at the bus stop, even when we were touring, she was practicing. So what was your role as you were doing this? Clearly she is driven. She is the face. She has no fear talking to all these grown-ups. So how were you supporting her? What was your role in all this? I don't take the credit, honestly. It was her. I did all, all I can if she wants some support. I think emotional support is the best thing I could do for her. When she feels tired, when she feels exhausted, we would just always chill out, just drop everything. She likes to go fishing with her grandpa. Then we took her during weekends to do fishing. And these things, although it seems like taking a lot of time, but if you structure your time well, you can still have a lot of me time. She still read a lot of books. So for her, it's easy. It's very easy to manage. Just whenever she said, I want that book, you just buy that book for her. It's the best thing for her. <laughs> and I understand that Alexis also joined the company with her first employee. So how did that all, how did that all come about? <laughs> you know, the brother, just naturally, she, she became part of us. And it is very funny to see the dynamics between them. And the brother always actually, she, he brought up a lot of good ideas. Even some of our vision, mission statements, some of the points are brought up by the brother because he was there all the time. He knew, he knew our stuff inside out too. And sometimes when Hillary's preparing for her speech, he will give feedback. And because the brother is a very different person, he is really outgoing. He's totally different from Hillary. So he will be on a lot of our videos. <laughs> I've noticed he, he's very, very happy to just speak in front of a video by himself. Yes. <laughs> and I wonder, like, as a parent, as well, you'd be concerned, like there are kids, they're appearing all over social media. Is privacy something that you're concerned about? Um, this is something that we always have discussion about this. And because of the minor minus nature of the app, we concern about privacy and safety of kids. This is already in our conversations all the time. So for them, we know that they may be the face of the app, of the business, but you never see her personal information or her phone, all these things. Even for all the social media accounts, I co-manage with them. And they knew it. They knew it. They totally knew it. And actually something happened before. Her previous ex-school, some kids came to try to bully her at the Minor Miners account, saying really humiliating things. And I remember I messaged that person personally and saying that actually I'm the mom. <laughs> and I don't think this is the way to go. And if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to call you out. And the boy just apologized and deleted everything. That's just terrible to hear that. But I want to add one more thing too. It's not only negative stuff that comes out from all these negative comments or haters. I think this is also important for me as a parent to, in my role to teach them how to see, how to respond to all these haters. Because unless you are hiding behind it all the time, 
whether it's now or when you become an adult, there are always some negative comments, right? Or people discouraging you. It will just happen sooner or later. So I think this is a good time for me to be there with her to face this and see things and see and discuss how to handle. And I can be there right now. When you see this negative comments, then we can discuss about it and how you feel about it. And I think she's pretty strong. She's pretty strong and positive about all these hater things. It doesn't bother her at all. And I think I am happy to be with her at this moment to deal with all these things right now instead of when she was, you know, all alone later. That's so encouraging to hear. I wonder if you're looking back, right, is there anything you would have done differently to help her with this journey? I think for her personally, of course, we celebrate individuality. We celebrate uniqueness of you. You shouldn't change a single bit of yourself. But when you see people who have different views with you. You don't need to have a judgment on whether you're right or whether they are right, right? It's okay for everyone to feel differently. At that point, I think Hillary, naturally for her, she probably will make people think that she's looking down and being condescending. But this is very tough for an 11, 12-year-old. And if I can do it differently, I hope I can break it down into more... These understandable terms to talk to her, to teach her how to deal with these social situations. Sometimes, even if you don't like what they're doing, if you don't agree with other people, you can still accept it and just be friendly to everyone. Listen to them without agreeing. It is not easy even for us as adults, but if I can teach her that, I don't know whether these bullying things will, will go away. I don't know. And what about the kind of learnings and lessons? Like, since you're not in a official school system, how do you plan out what she needs to learn? Or do you just let her follow what she's interested in? I think we let it go two ways. After pulling out from school, we have a lot of thinking about what education is, what school is, and what do you need to learn. And what we settled with is learning is different from schooling, right? You can learn whatever. Go for whatever you like to read. But for At the education system is whether you want to go through that system to follow suit, to take an undergraduate degree and get that certificate, to get that accreditation. Then you need to follow the rule and the game. You need to study the exams. You can't tell me that you resent it. You think it is a waste of time because that is how you play the game. That's why she's taking the GCSE exams because she has a certain... Go in her mind what subjects she wants to study in universities that she really interested in. She have already read a lot of books about it. She couldn't stop talking about it. So she's happy with her schooling educations and also her own learning. And so, what is your advice for any parent who's seeking to take their kid out of like official school system and create their own for their kids? There are a few things they must think it through before making the decision. First is actually it takes you, the parents, the adult, a way lot more time and energy and planning than sending your kid to a school. Because the school have a system to take care of that if you want to decentralize that and then take the responsibility yourselves, then you need to, you know, plan so many things. Not just the academic part. Don't forget the physical activity parts the leisure parts and how to balance everything and what kind of subjects or general knowledge you want the kid to keep up with. Seeing that for many unschooling families, they may be interested in one particular thing, but they totally neglected many other stuffs. So sometimes when you talk to them, maybe for some, they don't have any math sense at all. And that can be dangerous if you want your kids to pursue whatever accreditation later on in life. It caused some resentment in them. That's why you need to reverse engineer your way of thinking for homeschooling. You need to first know the goal, where your kids are, where they want to be, and then work your way back and see what kind of path you should follow through. Although you don't go to school, what kind of exams they need to take in order to go to whatever school or what kind of design school, whatever it is that your kids may want to go. But the earlier you take them out, it is even more difficult because they were still so young, they don't know where they want to be. And you need a lot of work in progress and keep on being flexible and keep on doing your research and don't miss all the deadlines, that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of work for the parents. And if you want to do that and you think you can do that, 
Totally. There is one thing that I suppose people are most concerned about, which is the social aspect. I mean, in school, you naturally have all your classmates, but coming out, you have to be more deliberate about it. So how do you go about thinking and making sure they have interaction with their peers? We were very cautious for Hillary's case at the beginning because she had the social issue before. So we plan to have a lot of meetups with other social uh, homeschool kids. So homeschool family and kids, and they are so loving. They are very careful about this, and because they're used to mix up with kids with different ages, because you can't plan for all ten years old together, right? They're already families of different age of kids. You know, whoever that have time will come together, and then you don't know who we're going to see. And they are very accepting. They are all very friendly. So we are very lucky to be able to connect with them to this community. I remember that time that they have a hiking. Together and the girls were already holding hands, wrapping their arms around her shoulders, and I was so glad. I kept on taking photos behind them. There are many groups that the kids can join. Like Hillary joined Girl Guys before, and yeah, we kept looking for opportunities and activities like this. And how did Alexis take to this whole staying at home, learning from home as well? Yeah, for my son, it's a little different because he is a very social person. He couldn't stop talking, and he enjoyed his friends so much. So after he left school, I still connect with her old schoolmates, parents all the time. I still text them all the time. They called him to their parties still. Even now, after he left school for so many years, they have play days, they have sleepovers all the time. And Alexis met with new friends easily, and I'm glad that he doesn't lose that. <laughs> and is there any like common misconception about homeschooling that you like to clear? For people, yeah, I mean the most misconception is about losing the social element. That homeschool kids, because of the name, they are trapped at home. I mean, this is all up to you. For us, at the very first year, I talked them out all the time. We joined up with other homeschool families. We went to all the museums, all the things, and times where there were no people at all. And we enjoyed all the private tours so well, and it was great. It was great. We went to all different places where I haven't been in Hong Kong. I remember a bakery where the baker spent the whole morning teaching these group of homeschool kids on the science behind fermented bread, all these stuffs, and they got hands-on things on baking. That morning was so good. I I don't see any science class so interesting before. <laughs> And I think that you videoed these kind of field trips on the Minor Minus YouTube as well, so people can go and just see what it's like for all these kids to have their own field trips. Yeah, I mean, obviously now we're recording this during COVID, and I'm wondering how has that impacted your life and your family, and also Minor Minus, the running of it. For Minor Minus, it has affected us quite a bit because the developers was in、uh, is in Canada, and one of the key team members,、uh, his family is got COVID. So we have to totally look. The whole project stalled for a while because we are developing the、uh, version two. But you just have to face it. You just have to delay the the launch of the second version. The family wise, I think it's just they have to deal with boredom. <laughs> they can't go out to the center to have lessons. And Hillary loves meeting the teachers. But luckily, they still have. The- Online classes and lacking the physical activities is major. So we ask her to walk the dog. At least go downstairs to walk the dog. I kept on telling them, this is something that many years later, when you look back, it will be a great experience. No one have ever had this for a hundred years. To think of the positive side that we have so much time together. And then I'm wondering, just before we close, if there is any important truth for you that. Few people agree with you. For a lot of people, they think "follow your dream" is a cheesy word to say. Oh, it's fancy, you know. It's good to say, you know. You have to face your reality, whatever is practical. But in my experience over forty years of life, actually, follow your dream is the most practical thing to do. It's real. I mean, this is the thing that you are really passionate in, that you are capable in, that you will die to do. That naturally you should do well in. And for me, it is the case. It's always at the back of my mind that I like kids. Even when I was young, I remember playing with my cousins. All the kids loved me. 
They don't want to go home. They will cry like hell when they leave my place. I enjoy so much. When I have my own kids, I remember one should really look inside and find out what is the thing that you're really good at that you never want to let it go. That is something you really want to pursue. Where do you see your future? If you will? do, you have any plans for the future for yourself? Myself, I want to keep my blog alive. I want to do more about on Joey Mom. Just not to brag about oh, how great my experience was. I just want to keep telling, keep sharing, keep exchanging experiences. Because at this moment, if I'm afraid of failing, because I don't know, I don't know where she'll go. I don't know where minor minors will be. For a lot of people, they will write a book or they will say something once their kids graduated from Harvard. You know, whatever, right? I mean, for me at this moment, I'm still raising the kids. I want to go through this journey with so many more other parents. Well, thank you so much, Jerry, for this time. I normally close with these questions, which is firstly, do you feel that you have found your why? I think I have. I think I have. Yeah. And how will you define that why? I am glad that in this recent years, I found stoicism. And it speaks to me so well. I read the book. It's my Bible every morning. I read the page every morning. I copy one piece every morning, and that's how I live my life. It is just make things simple. You live the day, make fullest of it, and make it simple. And that's how you live it. And what kind of legacy would you want to leave behind? I just want people who know me to feel that I am exerting positive energy. And what do you think are the most important qualities for someone to be successful in life? Oh, as I mentioned before, all the successful people that I have come into in my life or I have read is just two things that I have mentioned before. They don't complain. They look at what they have in hand, deal with what they can control, and make it simple. Where can people go to connect with you and find out more about you and what Minor Menace is doing? They can find us on Facebook and、uh, Instagram at、uh, our handles minor minors and Joey Mum, J O E Y M U M. And that was the end of episode fourteen. The show notes can be found at so this is my why dot com forward slash fourteen, and it includes the transcript and links to everything we just talked about. Let me know what you've learned by going to Apple Podcast to leave a review and subscribe, and also take a screenshot of today's episode on Instagram and tag me at so this is my why. And Joey at Joey Mom with the hashtag. So this is my why. If you want to hang out, we also have a private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. And some of our podcast guests will also be showing up for a limited time to answer any of your burning questions. To join, just head over to Facebook and look for So This Is My Why. And stay tuned for episode fifteen, which drops next Sunday, because we will be meeting a Malaysian Cambridge educated engineer turned food blogger, podcaster. And writer about what it's like pursuing this rather unconventional career straight out of university. We had a lot of fun recording that episode, and he will probably tickle your fruity urge to head to the kitchen and whip up a meal or two. A little hint: his miso mushroom pasta is a huge hit. So stay tuned, stay blessed, and see you next Sunday.